When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, hello. Welcome to Sounds Good with Brandon Harvey. I am Brandon Harvey, and this week we've got a little bit of a different episode than normal weeks. I am actually not interviewing anybody. I am being interviewed. And uh, there's a reason for that. I have been working super hard over the last few months alongside a team of really incredible people to make something that we are super proud of. We're actually creating a newspaper. This is uh, ridiculous. I know it sounds so funny to start a newspaper in 2017, but uh, this newspaper is an extension of the hopeful stories of world changers that we've been trying to tell on Sounds Good and the hopeful news stories from around the world that we've been sharing on The Good Newsletter and just the general ethos of changing the world and being a part of making a difference in the lives of people around us that the community, the listeners of this podcast have created. It's beautiful. This newspaper, this project is called The Good Newspaper. How great is that? Sounds good. Good newsletter, good news paper. And we're super proud of it. It launches on Kickstarter on March 14th, which for some people listening, that's tomorrow. For other people listening, that's today or yesterday. But we're using today's episode to dive into my story and figure out how in the world I ended up you know, getting to a point where I'm making a newspaper and, and focusing on the good in the world. And the cool thing is I got to be interviewed by my lovely wife, Sammy. If you follow me online, you've definitely seen photos of her. Maybe you've even stalked her Instagram and seen how much she loves our new puppy. We got a dog, by the way. Her name is Pop-Tart. <laughs> um, but it was great. We had a really fun conversation. We went all the way back to what my life was like in high school and the small town I grew up in. And how I went from being a photographer to becoming a storyteller to being a storyteller who focuses on the good in the world. And Sammy pulled some stuff out of me that I haven't thought about in years. It was super fascinating. I, it sounds funny that I'm calling it fascinating, but the truth is that I feel like I learned a lot just having the conversation, which um, I, don't, I don't know what to say about that, but that's, that's ridiculous. So that's what this episode is about. This episode is the story of my life and how we got to this moment of creating the good newspaper. And then at the end of the episode, I explain a whole lot about it. I wanted to give you guys an intimate behind the scenes peek at it. And I'd love to get these newspapers in your hands. I think that you're going to love them. If you're a fan of the podcast, you're going to want this on your coffee table. And so uh, enjoy the episode. Uh, This is my wife, Sammy, and I sitting on our red couch next to our sweet puppy Pop-Tart. Here we go. This is kind of weird, huh? Yeah, it's really weird. So I feel like I'm both the least and most qualified person to do this. I feel most qualified because I feel like while I was thinking about questions I wanted to ask you, I know a lot of the answers. And I feel least qualified because of the same reason. Uh, <laughs> because, yeah, I feel like I'm kind of cheating in some ways. But um, anyway... Yeah, this is fun. It is fun. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we just talk all day anyway, so it's just yeah. more structured talking with a with a microphone in our face. Totally, totally. So, I help co-host this podcast called Story Podcast, which is put on by a conference here in Nashville called Story Conference, which is focused on helping uh, artists and different storytellers. And so, I do interviews on that show, and. The way that I really like to start interviews is by starting by talking about childhood because I feel like there's a lot of truth hidden in the stories from growing up. So I don't think a lot of people know this, but you grew up in, not in Portland, Oregon, you grew up in Pullman, Washington. Yes. Yeah. It's always funny because I... Yeah. You always tell people that you grew up in Portland. Because So here's my theory. My theory is that when you ask somebody where they're from, you don't 
necessarily care where they're from. You're looking for a connection point. You're looking for a way to have a conversation. And I grew up in this tiny little town that's amazing, but nobody's ever heard of it. And I had so many formative years in Portland that uh, a lot of people visited Portland. I figured, oh, I'll just talk about Portland. Um, But yeah, I almost never get to talk about Pullman. Tell me more about Pullman. Oh my goodness. I love Pullman so much. It's really fun because it's got this unique blend of people there. It's really well known for its agriculture. We are, I believe, the largest producers of lentils in the entire world. <laughs> uh, so much so that we actually, every single year, this is, this is no joke, this is our big event. We have the Lentil Festival. The International Lentil Festival wow. is held in Pullman, Washington. The mayor comes out and stirs this giant pot of lentil chili. Um, <laughs> it's, it's in the back I've of never, a truck. I don't even know... If I know what lentils taste like. Honestly, I don't know if I do either. They're kind of <laughs> just like beans, but they're tiny. Um, but okay, so we have just a lot of crops that grow. And so a lot of my friends growing up, uh, their parents are farmers and they had farms and they, uh, they, they worked in the world of agriculture. And then there's the university, Washington State University. Um, and I would say that the other half of all my friends' parents worked at the university. My dad worked at the university. Um, and... The interesting thing about the university is we had a great athletics program. Actually, I don't know if great is the right word for it. We had a, uh, um, a mediocre athletics program that people were very passionate about. Um, <laughs> and so it creates this really fun environment to have um, a community that is built up of um, these two, in some ways, like contrasting groups of people. You know, you've got... Um, whatever the cliches are about people who work in the world of farming and agriculture. And then you have all the cliches about the world of athletics or uh, the world of academia. And so I got to live kind of in the midst of that. And, uh, and I think that it taught me a lot, um, maybe subconsciously early on, about uh, learning from people who are different than me and learning from people with different backgrounds or different uh, goals in life. And more than anything, I think that it challenged the way that I saw the world early on. Speaking of perspective of the world, question I want to ask you, have you felt like you've always been optimistic about life? Because uh, <laughs> you're the most optimistic person I've ever met. That's funny. Um, I'm always wondering I remember that. growing up thinking, I'm not optimistic. There were <laughs> times where I legitimately in conversations was like, I'm, I'm a pessimist. And other times <laughs> in conversations where I was like, no, I'm just a realist, which I think is everybody's favorite reaction. Like, oh, no, I just see the world as it is. Um, <laughs> but I don't think that those are true. I think I've always been really optimistic, but I've just been so... Bl- like growing up, I was so blindly optimistic that I had a hard time realizing that uh, that I maybe saw the world different than other people. And um, it's, it's what do you think shaped that perspective for you, man? Um, I mean, there's got to be something about growing up in a little bit of a utopia. Like I don't remember any crimes happening. It like in my community when I was a kid. I don't remember. Um, any tragedies yeah. happening to, to people who were super close to me growing up. So there's something to be said about not being confronted with the realities of the world early on. And you know, the other thing that I was thinking about is when things would happen in the world that were bad, you know, when things would kind of uh, dip into my utopia and I would see, oh, wow, like there's, there's some brokenness in the world. I never felt helpless. I always felt like I could be a part of the solution. And I think back and probably one of the biggest things that impacted me in my early life, and this is probably true for a number of people in the United States and around the world, was 9-11. I still remember what it felt like when my mom told me what happened, when she said that some bad men did something bad to a lot of people in a city far, far away. And that rocked my world. But the next week, me and some friends went out and we set up shop right outside my house on Orion Drive and we had a lemonade stand to raise money for the Red Cross. And we, we made signs that with a big red plus sign on it and, and we felt like we were a part of mm. the solution. And I don't know, I think, I think that that's always been embedded in my mind since the beginning. Um, I think that even when bad things happen, we have the opportunity to respond. Mm. That's so important. 
I know that you became passionate about photography at a young age while you're growing up in Pullman. Tell me more about that. Yeah, photography has always been huge for me. Like, it's been a really important part of... Like, since when? Like, since you were three or, like, since no. your dad? Like, wait, <laughs> oh, wait, your parents were almost photographers, oh right? Oh, my gosh, yeah. <laughs> this is a funny story. I didn't know this until years after I became a photographer. That when my parents were newlyweds, they said, what if we started a photography business? You and me will be a husband and wife photography team. And this is back in, what, like, the, the 80s? And, <laughs> and they... Uh, Oh my gosh. They're like, let's become a husband and wife photography team. And I asked them when they told me this, had you ever taken a photography class? Did you have cameras? Were you photographers? Like, did, did I not know this? And they're like, oh no, we'd, we'd never taken photos in our lives. <laughs> but, uh, so maybe it's just in my blood. It's in my genetics. Right. They never, they never started a photography company, by the way. <laughs> um, but when I was like 15 or 16, I had these fantastic mentors in my life. And I think that they were a really huge part of my life, but they were photographers. They were passionate about photography. And I came to really be inspired by that. I thought that that was so cool that they had a creative outlet, that they had a way to create things. And, and there's something really magical about shooting photos and, and seeing the way that you can change it, make it exactly what you want it to be. As a part of the photography class, I got to have a camera for an entire year. And so I had this fantastic teacher, too, who had worked really hard, uh, Mr. Winchell. Mr. Winchell is the best. Uh, he had worked really hard to get funding for his class to get solid DSLRs and lenses for every single student to use. And so a lot of students just used it for their photography assignments that they got. You know, we'd be like, oh go and photograph this thing, go find this thing, go capture this thing. And I tried to use it every single day. Somebody had told me, I had read online, that if you want to be a good photographer, you've got to shoot photos every single day. And so that's what I started doing. I started shooting photos every single day. I think that what I was doing is I was going online and I was finding people that inspired me photos that inspired me. And then I'd try to create work similar to them. Like, oh, wow, how are they editing that thing? I'm going to try to edit something like that. Whoa, I'd never thought about shooting a photo from that perspective. Let me try shooting a, a different photo from that perspective. And so it was a lot of um, trying to like learn from example. And I actually ended up taking that photography class three years in a row, I believe, uh, because I wanted to just have that camera. And that was a huge thing for me. And then I, I started kind of acquiring more mentors who were more photography oriented and taught me everything they know. And my friend Karen, she took me under underneath her wing. She was maybe 23 at the time. I don't know. She just felt like old. Um, <laughs> sorry, Karen. She felt older. Um, but she took me under her wing and started teaching me how to be a photographer and taught me the ins and outs of creativity and how to run a business and, and more than anything, how to make a difference through what you do. Mm. I remember there's this uh, wonderful single mom who lived in our community and she had like this super cute kid and we both knew her and uh, we decided one year we were just going to like donate a free photo shoot to her. Be like, hey, We'd love to shoot family photos for you to use on Christmas cards and uh, to have up in your home. And it's just one of those things where she really could not have afforded to hire a professional photographer. And we, uh, Karin kind of inspired me um, and led me through the process of, of using photography to give back to somebody. And we printed out the photos and got to give it to her. And it was a really beautiful experience. And uh, from that point, I was totally in love with the ability to create things, to make beauty, uh, but also to uh, to not let that just stop there, but mm. to use it to, to give back. That's really cool. I don't think I've heard that story before, which is amazing. <laughs> well, I feel like I've heard interviews a, every yeah, week. Because <laughs> I feel like I've heard a lot of your stories. But seriously, one of my favorite stories, I think, is um, the story that you tell about your first paid shoot. Could you tell that story? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, I still, I still can't believe it. It's so funny. I, um, I had been shooting photos for a while. You know, a lot of people ask me for photography advice, um, especially people in middle school or high school who want to kind of follow down the career path of being a photographer. And I always repeat back a few of the pieces of wisdom that I've acquired from different people and different photographers through the years. I've got three things. Number one, shoot photos every single day. Go out and just get really good with your camera. Number two, 
don't share all those photos. <laughs> I think that that's like the number one secret really is uh, people will get overwhelmed if you share a whole bunch of photos. But if you shoot a thousand photos in a shoot and you share a thousand of those, even if you just share a hundred of those, that's too many. And there's honestly going to be some crap ones in there. Like for any photographer, people are just going to get overwhelmed by that. Pair that down to maybe three photos, the very best three photos, and people are going to think that you're amazing. And that's what professional photographers do. They know which nuggets of gold to pull out of the crap. I like that metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, and then number three is take those nuggets of crap. <laughs> <laughs> nuggets of gold. Nuggets of gold. <laughs> that's disgusting. Take those nuggets and put them somewhere where people will notice them. So for me, back in the day, this is maybe 2008, it was I built a Facebook page, I built my own website, I was uploading things on Flickr, and then I was throwing things up on Twitter through like TwitPic, classic. Um, and, you know, for people today, you know, it's probably building a Squarespace website or putting things up on Instagram. And so I was doing all of those things. I was shooting photos every day. I was picking just the best photos and I was putting them up online where people could see them. And at this point, I had never been hired, but I was putting stuff out there in the hopes that one day I would be able to be a professional photographer, that somebody would hire me. So I was putting these things out there where people could see them. Um, and I had never gotten hired before, but that was kind of my goal. My goal in my mind was I'm going to be a professional photographer. And one day I get this phone call. I think that uh, I'd had my phone number on my website, something like that. I get this phone call. I pick it up and it's this girl, and she says that she is uh, a local fashion designer. I think she'd gone through the university program of, like, learning how to, like, design clothes, um, and she had she had a new line that she was putting out there, and she needed somebody to shoot photos for her lookbook, and she told me that she'd seen my work and that she wanted to work with me, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe what's happening. <laughs> Do you know how old I am? <laughs> yeah, there's, and here's the other thing. I didn't tell people how old I was until, like, a year ago. I'm 24. Um, I just, like, never really shared it publicly because I didn't want people to think I was too young. Um, and uh, <laughs> and so I was like, oh, crap, she's going to figure out that I am the worst. And so on the phone, she's like, hey, can you do this? Like, here's, like, how much budget I have. And I was like, whoa, that's awesome. Um, and she's like, uh, and here's when I would need to do it. And I was available. The money looked great. Everything was awesome. But I felt so nervous. And so I just uh, I just started kind of shutting down. And I was like, uh, no, I can't do it. Um, and I was just like, it was fear taking control. And so I said, uh, no, like, there's no way. We can't do this. And I hung up the phone. And at first I was like, yeah, I did it. I, I got out of that scary situation. And then I was like, oh, wait, my goal is to be a photographer. I should have taken that opportunity. And I realized that I had let fear take the driver's seat. I had let fear take control of my dreams. And so I remember this. I remember being freaked out, but calling her back. Like, that's the worst. Calling her back and being like, hey, uh, I know that like I'm probably not good enough and that you probably don't want me, but can I still do that photo shoot for you? Um, and just being so nervous and so awkward. And she's like, of course. Um, and, and so I ended up getting to do that shoot and, um, I still didn't feel prepared. I think that was my big concern is that I'm, I wasn't good enough. I wasn't going to be prepared enough. Um, but the truth is that she had seen my work. She liked my work enough that she wanted to hire me and she'd given me a phone call. You know, like that means that, that there's at least, that there was at least some desire to work with me. And so uh, I just spent the next month until that shoot came up studying as hard as I could. I acquired the gear that I needed to get, like bounce panels and lighting stuff to make it work. Um, I started, like, I went to the library and picked up books on fashion photographers. Like, I went hard trying to figure out how to make this happen. And when the photos came out, I was actually pretty proud of them. I, you know, I still look back at them and there's a few that... Um, I'm still proud of, which is crazy. Some are terrible. Oh my gosh, some are awful. Um, <laughs> but it was that was a, a huge moment for me. And I think that that was the beginning of me being 
more fearless. I started being able to say yes to opportunities more and not let fear control whether I did that or not. And I think that was a turning point. Was there a mentor who told you that you should study business instead of photography? Yeah, I... That photo shoot happened when I was like 15, maybe 16. And uh, over the next two years, I started to shoot a lot of photos. I started getting to shoot weddings and I shot tons of senior portraits. I started working with a lot of brands and musicians that were local. I was getting a lot of work. And honestly, I think I could have supported myself financially, at least, you know, modestly, if I had just stayed in Pullman and it become like the go-to photographer in Pullman. And I could have just stayed and, and gone to college in my same hometown uh, and then like continued to be a photographer and run this business in Pullman. But it, it didn't align with my goals. It wasn't what I wanted to do. And I was also still a curious and ambitious person. And I wanted to have more experiences and experience things differently. I was like really weighing this decision. Should I stay in Pullman or should I go somewhere else? I'd visited Portland, Oregon a few times that I had just thought it was this incredible, amazing place. It was just unreal. Like I, I loved Portland. It just seemed like the most magical, heavenly city in Why the entire world. The very first time I ever visited Portland, I visited with my best friend, Dane. And Dane's older brother was like a world-class chef in Portland. Like if you Google um, top 10 restaurants in Portland, one of the restaurants on that list is going to be um, this restaurant that uh, the Dane's brother worked at. And the restaurant was uh, like six people, like as a six-person staff, I think. And Dane's brother was like the chef for that six-person staff, which is amazing. And so we showed up and we were just eating well this entire weekend. Um, Dane's brother just showed us all over town. He introduced us to all of his chef friends. And then I went to this concert with... One of my favorite artists at the time, it was John Foreman. And John Foreman somehow invited me to like watch the show from the stage. Like I sat on the stage and watched this like solo acoustic show. Like that could only happen to you. I don't know how it happened. <laughs> I still don't. I don't know. It was so weird. And then I helped him sell merch afterwards um, what? with this girl named Cookie. Um, <laughs> the memories I have here are so weird. Oh, I don't think I've ever said that before i just remembered it though <laughs> cookie cookie oh my gosh but it was just this weekend where it was absolute perfection and you know it's like away from the parents having a good time i felt sure. like an adult it's just the whole thing it was like at a very romanticized version of portland hmm. and so i was like oh like i should move to portland yeah uh but it was just this weird balance of like uh pullman i knew that i had a trajectory i knew that i could probably become the guy for photography in Pullman. I could own the space. And Portland was unknown. You know, I knew that I couldn't become the guy in Portland, um, or at least not for a long time, because a lot of the photographers I most admired lived in Portland. And they were, you know, in their 30s or 40s, and they were crushing it. And I, it, it was energizing, but it was also, there wasn't as clear of a path forward. And that's, that's a hard place to be. Do you have a story from your first year or so of living in Portland that would briefly summarize what that transition was like for you? Man. Um, from moving from small town Pullman to Portland. Yeah. I, you know, Pullman being a small town in Eastern Washington, almost Idaho is a pretty politically and ideologically conservative city. Um, it was also um, one of the cities where everybody knows everybody. And, you know, I would be walking down the street and I would, uh, I would see, you know, 50 people I knew drive by and I'd wave at everyone and they'd all honk. And when I moved to Portland, the city was big. It was progressive. It was liberal. It was probably uh, different than everything about Pullman. Yeah, it was, it was literally the exact opposite. And I just remember, you know, walking around town and encountering people that I'd I never encountered anybody like them before. I remember having friends my first year in Portland who were so different than than anybody I ever thought that I'd meet. And it was amazing. Mm. And it's just like the little things like my next door neighbors would like smoke weed all the time. And like we like constantly smelled like weed in the place. And I've never smoked weed, but it's like I almost could tell you what the good stuff is. <laughs> like because I smelled it so much. And like things like that were just like so 
so unique. You just never thought you'd be in a situation. I like never thought that. I'd be in that situation. Yeah. And what started happening is I just started challenging a lot of the ways that I saw the world in a really, really healthy way. I don't think I was letting go of my upbringing, but I was just saying, what if there's a lot more nuance to this? What if there's a lot of, of truth on both ends of the spectrum? And that was around the time when I started something called uh, Story Portrait. That's exactly what I was going to ask you next. Because uh, that's about the time that I started following you that's when we online. When we, well, not really met, but I started following you online. And uh, right before I reached out to you, I noticed that you started this hashtag yeah. called Story Portrait. And where you started sharing portraits of people with really long captions why and how did you start doing that? It rooted from this fact that I was meeting all these people who were so different than people I'd met before and so different from myself. But I thought that they were so interesting and so fascinating and I really admired them. And I think that maybe growing up, I thought that the best people were the people who were similar to me. I thought that they were the people who I agreed with, got along with all the time. And I started to learn that my favorite people were, were maybe the people that, that challenged me to see another equally valid perspective or challenged me to look at things differently. And I wanted to share that with people. Mm. And what I started doing at first was just sharing a photo of these people and putting it up on the internet. And I noticed that nobody really nobody really liked those photos. They <laughs> what do you mean? They, like literally, like when I post these on Instagram, they wouldn't get as many likes as when I would post a photo of so like a literally didn't have as many likes. Yeah, <laughs> they literally didn't like them. Um, I was like, why are people not liking these photos of people that are the most fascinating people I've ever met? And so I was like, okay, what if I start bringing people into this experience in the same way that I'm kind of diving into the experience? So I started sharing people's stories alongside their portraits and calling it story portrait. I know, very original. And it, it started to actually work. People actually started to like the photos. And likes aren't indicative of anything meaningful. Sure, it's um, not indicative of the quality no, of it's, the content. It's, but it's, it did show me uh, where people's attention was at. And people paid attention when they could connect with a person's story. And this is when I really started my passion for uh, telling stories. I'd done it a little bit in high school. Like I loved getting to photograph that single mother and, and her her cute kiddo and like tell the story of their life in a really hopeful, beautiful way. Uh, but now I was able to do it with people that uh, that I didn't know as well. And I was able to do it in a more public way. I think that me shooting these photos inspired me. It changed the way I saw things. I think it was empowering and encouraging for the subjects that I was shooting to see what I hope was a, a good portrait of them alongside um, a little bit of a story that like, I was able to glean from a conversation with them. I think that's a really empowering feeling to feel understood, to feel known, and to maybe understand yourself more because of, you're seeing yourself through the eyes of someone who isn't coming at it with baggage or something. Uh, but then three, I think that the photos were impactful for readers. And all of a sudden, this was a really fascinating idea that I could have um, a trifecta of impact with the stories I tell. Hmm. So during the season in Portland, you're in school and you kept pursuing photography. You were shooting weddings like all summer long. And then you started doing more commercial shoots for different brands, mostly posting for social media for different brands and then later on nonprofits. Tell me more about this transition. How did that come about? Well, what had happened was I was sharing these photos that I was really passionate about. And at the same time, I think a lot of people were sharing mountains and waterfalls. I mean, that, as an example, you know, they were sharing nature and, and travels and, and there weren't that many portraits, at least in, in my corner of the internet, um, the little photography segment of, of Instagram. And so people started to take notice of somebody who was doing something different. And again, I wasn't doing anything revolutionary. There were other people doing it too, but it was a, it was a smaller subsect. And so people started noticing, uh, I started kind of gaining followers from people who just liked the idea of sharing stories. Uh, but then 
one of the people that took notice was uh, was an, a wonderful Instagram employee who had seen it and thought that it was something that he wanted to share with the Instagram community. And so he actually ended up writing a few blog posts about what me and my community were doing through Story Portrait. Um, and more, more powerfully, like it wasn't as much about me as it was about this idea of shooting people's photos and sharing their stories and using social media as a way to connect people. And that was, I think, a huge moment where Instagram itself started to promote me. And then more media started reaching out. I remember like Fortune magazine flew out a photographer to make a little mini documentary about me, like little crazy stuff documenting the way that I was uh, connecting with people and, and sharing stories on social media. And through that whole process, I, I was able to uh, turn my passion for photography back into a, a full-time job in addition to being a college student, it's like that was my income, like was being mm-hmm. a full-time photographer and, and helping people shoot photos for social media and all that stuff. You had so much going on at that time in your life. I was doing a lot. I was just saying yes to everything that got me excited. Which, <laughs> I mean, does it take much to get you it excited? It does not take much to get me excited, <laughs> no. Which is probably why you're so busy. So you started shooting more photos for different brands and then a lot more nonprofits. How did that transition come about? And what do you think it was about nonprofits and social good brands that excited you? Yeah, I think we kind of talked about this earlier. And this is the first time I've ever really thought about this. But growing up in Pullman, I really didn't experience a lot of injustice. You know, there of course was injustice, but it just wasn't blatant and it wasn't kind of out in the open. And I moved to Portland and it had a large homeless population. And it was one of the highest, uh, Portland is one of the highest rates of sex trafficking in the country. And there were just a lot more um, obvious signs of injustice. And because of that, there were also a lot of people who were showing up to fight that, to make a difference. And really early on, almost on accident, I just started meeting people who were running nonprofits and and doing things that made a huge impact in the world, who were fighting injustice. And I became really fascinated by this. You know, I'd I'd heard of nonprofits growing up. I was a huge supporter of um, of Charity Water, among other nonprofits in high school. But it was a lot of organizations that were doing work far away. And for the first time, I was meeting people who were doing work with uh, with their community. And I was like, wow, like this is fascinating. And and I just started trying to volunteer my camera. I started trying to, to use my photography to make an impact in the lives of, of people around me uh, through these nonprofits. And uh, and so I became very fascinated by this, and I ended up starting to get um, invited out to different conferences that are focused on justice and, and social good, and I get to talk about um, using art to make a difference in the world. Um, and I think that's how I kind of got into the nonprofit world is, is strictly out of passion. I got to use the experience I'd had working with these big brands from around the country who wanted me to shoot photos for them, and I got to incorporate the talents and abilities I'd gained from shooting for all these big brands from all over the country in the Portland area, as well as this kind of newfound passion I'd had for storytelling and for helping people um, understand people and and create empathy through social media communications and photography and and writing um, and, and put those towards helping nonprofits out. When do you think it clicked for you that you wanted to be a storyteller more than a photographer, an entrepreneur, an artist? Was it a certain trip or just over time reflecting? Oh, man. Um, I think as I started this whole story portrait thing, that was when I I began to be fascinated by the idea of um, writing. I'd always written growing up my one of my middle school teachers, Mr. Johnson, had really encouraged me to start writing more and to uh, to invest in that creative side of me. Um, and so I'd always kind of been a little bit of a writer. But Story Portrait really encouraged me to dive into that more, to, die, uh, to, to write more. Um, and then I started getting into video a little bit. Some of these nonprofits would hire me to shoot video. And I was like, oh, this is fascinating. I, I'm, I'm down to do this a little bit more. Um, and so I started realizing that my passion didn't lie with photography as much as my ability to communicate. And, and what did I want to communicate? I wanted to communicate stories. And, 
especially stories that mattered that, you know, at first it was just stories that mattered to me. Um, but it grew to be stories that mattered to the world that made the world a better and different place. And it wasn't that crystal clear to me at the time. I think in hindsight, it's a lot more crystal clear, but, uh, but a transition had begun and photography was no, was no longer my passion photography was just one of my tools and storytelling was my passion. Okay. So let's fast forward a little bit right now at the point in the story, you are 19 and fast forward a couple of years, you continue to be in school. You start shooting more for nonprofits. You're flying around the world shooting. You're really active on social media, continuing to grow different platforms. And then you graduate from school we get married, and this is probably about one, a year year and three months ago we got married. Wow. And just around that time after we got married, a lot of really crazy stuff happened in the world in 2016. So a word that I have come to love recently is the word brutal. And I heard Glennon Doyle Melton, who's an author and speaker, say it recently and describe it as brutally beautiful and to me it describes situations that are often painful but lead us to a deeper understanding of the goodness in life and I think that 2016 was a hard year for both you and I um, and the rest of the world and for anyone who watches the news pretty much Um, but I feel like especially you I feel like Um, You became really hyper aware of the injustices that are happening in the world this last year and have also been faced with challenging and sometimes painful situations um, with your relationships with your family and friends. And at the same time, I'd say that you are probably at the most healthiest I've ever seen you and you seem the most alive from all of our years of dating. Why do you think that is? How do you think that pain has played an important part in your story man that's a really good question you should just do this show for me that would man um (laughs) that's i'm like shifting in my seat right now trying to figure out oh man processing i love that word from glennon and man glennon is such a talented and amazing human being i just love following her online but brutal in so many ways does describe the last you know, year and a half. You and I got married in November of 2015, right as the election season was kicking up. And and during that time, I was just becoming more and more aware of the systematic injustices plaguing the United States and and of course the world. But I was I was able to see it more and more like in the community that I was living in, like in in the lives of people I knew. Um, and I become I was I was becoming more. Uh, woke, if you will. I was becoming more aware of, of the of the brokenness of the world, and we talked about this earlier. Optimism, you know. Uh, I've always been super optimistic to a point where I didn't even realize that I was being optimistic. Um, and I think at first, as I was becoming more woke, I was uh, I was trying to be optimistic. You know, I was still trying to be like, oh well, it's like it's fine. Everything's gonna be okay. Like everything's like awesome. And I think that that worked for a little bit, but then things started to hit closer to home. And I hate that it had to come to that. I hate that I had to see more brokenness uh, closer to me for it uh, for it to matter. But mm. but maybe that's what it took. I don't know. Maybe 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 I would have grown in my in my awareness without it. But uh, but that's what it took for me. And I just like started having like more hard things happen in the lives of people that I loved, you know, family and friends who, who were just struggling with, with really difficult things in their life. And for the first time that was, uh, that was happening. Cause I, growing up, nobody had ever really, nobody I knew had really experienced a lot of difficult things. And so we, we had the division going on in the country because of the election. We had systematic injustices going on, which, uh, the, the flames were being fueled by the election as well. And then there were the people in my life whose lives were um, were in pain and they were struggling and they were suffering. And, and I had to figure out, can I be blindly optimistic and just pretend like these things aren't happening or should I engage? 
in my natural go-to mechanism, and you and I have learned this over the course of counseling and, and being married and, and just being with each other all the time, but like my natural mechanism is to avoid pain, is to avoid suffering. Um, but I know now that it's really important to dive into the things that are difficult because honestly, those things are the most uh, powerful. They're the, mo- the most important. And, and actually to bring it back to Glennon's word, they're brutal. They're brutal and they're beautiful. They're, they're painful. They're difficult, but beauty rises out of them. And, and so over the last year and a half, um, maybe two years over the last two years, that's what I've been learning is how to let those two things coexist. The brokenness of the world with this sense of deep with this deep sense of optimism. And then trying to figure out how can I bridge this gap? Because ultimately, optimism is this idea of this is the way that the world could be. This is the way that the world should be. And then wokeness is the idea of this is what's underneath the facade. This is the brokenness that is in the world that's hidden out of sight. And you've got to like actually pay attention in order to notice it. And that's what kind of inspired me to start creating solutions, to bring things from the brokenness that I see uh, to this like hopeful ideal of what the world could be. Um, and and I'm not going to pretend that it's going to get there on its own. And I'm not going to pretend that, uh, that it's going to be easy or that, uh, that the world is already there, but I'm, I'm basically just choosing. I started to choose that I wanted to be a part of it. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'd say too, that you weren't trying to be the hero all on your own. I think saying you were trying to play your part, like, by following your passion of storytelling. Yeah. And yeah, and I I'd been admiring people for so long who were already doing this. And I don't think I even realized why I was admiring them until later. But there were people who were using their talents and their abilities, their platforms to make a difference in the world. Um and and I think back on, you know, even past guests of this podcast like Jeremy Coward, Jason Russell, Devin Allen, Amber Ray, like these incredible people who are using their platforms, using their art, using their abilities to make the world a better place, to drive things towards the ideal world that we want to live in. And I wanted to just join in with all these other people who are doing this. In some ways, I just saw it as, as a movement of people with, without a name. You know, it was a, it was a nameless movement of people who had decided to use their creativity to make a difference. And I wanted to just join them. And I started figuring out as many ways as I possibly could mm. to do that. Yeah. So when we first started dating, you I don't really remember you being that invested in keeping up with the news. You probably were keeping up with it as much as the average person would be keeping up with the news. But now you run this thing called the Good Newsletter. Could you share more about what was the catalyst to launching this? I don't think I even know the complete story about the day that you had this idea come into your brain. Yeah, I remember at the end of 2015, I just felt so overwhelmed by everything happening in the world. Um, The political season was ramping up. There were mass shootings happening every week. Like, it was unreal. And I just remember expressing frustration with a number of people over the course of weeks. And people were saying that they felt the same way. We all kind of collectively felt sick and tired of, of the cynicism, the negativity, and the division in the world. And we wanted more hope in our daily lives, but didn't quite know how to have that. And I think that my naturally optimistic self said, how can we solve this problem? You know, how can we create a solution? How can we create a lemonade stand, but for cynicism? And so I just started doing some research, looking for more good news. I know that I had seen a good amount over the last year, but I wasn't keeping track of it. I wasn't paying much attention to it. And I said, let me just start keeping a list. And I started writing down hopeful news when I found it. I think that the act of acknowledging good news when you see it and not just letting it fly by, because it's easy to let it just fly by, acknowledging it is huge. And it was huge for me. So I had this notebook full of good news stories that I'd seen over the last you know, week or so. And I decided, what if I start sharing these things? 
So I Googled, how do you start an email newsletter? I followed the steps. I sent out the link to other people who were kind of expressing frustration as well, who were felt overwhelmed. And that week I sent out an email with five pieces of hopeful news stories from around the world. And down the road, we called it the good newsletter. Actually, at the very beginning, it was called the Brandon Harvey email party. Do you remember that? <laughs> um, I didn't know what to call it, and I liked that rhyme. Um, I'll have to do something else. Like Maybe we'll just call my next birthday the Brandon Harvey birthday party. Maybe that'll fulfill that for mm, me. Um, maybe. Because good newsletter, I feel like, is such a cooler name. Um, <laughs> it's more descriptive, for sure. Far more descriptive. <laughs> but that's how it came to be. I know something that we've talked about before about the content of the good newsletter and I've noticed you've been really intentional about is not filling the good newsletter with just puppy pictures and children (laughs) singing. A lot of the stories that you're sharing have some nuance to it. And yeah, I'd like to hear more of your thoughts about that. I think in the process of me becoming a more healthy human who is able to kind of focus on both sides of that word brutal, the beautiful and the brutal. Um, I've, I've found the value in diving into issues on a deeper level. So while it would be easy to share lots of stories like puppy scares away bear from campsite, you know, these stories that while that is incredible and that is good news, uh, what inspires me more than anything is where people are showing up in the midst of tragedies and in the midst of conflict or difficulties to create more beauty and hope and goodness in the world. And it reminds me of this quote from Mr. Rogers. And it is, oh my gosh, I think it's my favorite quote of all time. He says, when I was a boy and I would see scary things in the news, my mother would say to me, look for the helpers. You will always find people who are helping. And the newspaper was actually just a few months old when the shooting at the Pulse nightclub in Orlando happened. And honestly, my natural default reaction to what happened was to just pretend it didn't because it was so terrifying and so heartbreaking. And, you know, it's the largest shooting in U.S. history, and it was specifically targeting people in the LGBT community. And, oh, my gosh, it was a terrible thing that happened. I wanted so badly to just have the good newsletter that next week be stories of of puppies saving people from bears, you know, like whatever it is, but that wouldn't be an appropriate response. And and the truth is that there was actually a lot of hope that came from such a terrible thing because there were helpers. There were helpers in that situation. When there was something bad on the news, there were helpers and you just had to pay attention to them. And there were people showing up. There were people showing up. I remember spending that entire weekend scrolling through Reddit posts and tweets and I was trying to track down all the little moments that were going unreported of people showing up to make a difference. There were lines around the block from people who were donating blood. There were companies and individuals who showed up with food to support victims. Like It was unreal, the beautiful things that were happening. But of course, all the television channels were just focused on the shooter and and shots of the crime scene. And in a lot of ways, they largely missed out on focusing on the helpers. Mm. And so I think that was when the good newsletter really became what it is today. It's saying, hey, here's brokenness in the world. Here's injustice. Here's systematic oppression. Where are the helpers? What are they doing? And the hope is that by seeing those people, seeing the examples they set, that's a catalyst for us to join in with what they're doing. We're not just like standing on the sidelines clapping. We're, We're not using attention. them for a feel-good moment to like console ourselves. No. Yeah, yeah. It's saying, what can I do to join them in that? Or it might be saying, when something bad happens in my community, mm-hmm. in my family, in the lives of people around me, how can I react? Totally. And- how can I use my creativity my like skills, my gifts to participate and give back. Exactly. And, and that's the most beautiful thing to me that energizes me. It gets me so excited. I love the community that's formed around that because I get emails all the time and, and they inspire me from people saying, I saw that video you put in the good newsletter about that incredible teacher and I'm a teacher and it inspired me to do that with my students or wow, I saw something about what that person did in their community to care for their neighbors And so I tried doing it and oh my gosh, my neighbors loved it and it made me feel awesome as well. You know, things like that energize me and I go, oh my gosh, like now I'm slacking. Like it it spurs 
it spurs everybody forward when when you hear these stories. Hmm. Okay, so it's now a good time to <laughs> finally talk about the newest project that we've been yeah. working on. Oh my gosh! Do you want to introduce it? Yeah. Oh my gosh! I'm I'm so excited. We've been working for months on this on this brand new project as an extension of what we've been doing on the good newsletter on sounds good on Instagram and Snapchat, you know, all these places where we're trying to tell hopeful stories that motivate us towards action. We are creating the good newspaper and (laughs) (laughs) it's so funny because it's such a weird time to be joining the world of print media because especially us as millennials yeah i mean i don't think i've ever had a newspaper subscription like i subscribe to new york times wall street journal um washington post online Mm -hmm. but i i definitely don't get we don't have papers delivered to our door no but so let's break this down a little bit why a newspaper well I think that there's something really valuable about holding something printed in your hands. Mm. You know that everything in there is important and intentional because it actually costs money to put that on paper versus on the internet where it's free to put things out in the world. So there's some inherent value in the content of a newspaper. Also, um, there's something to be said about putting physical beauty in the world. We have an amazing, incredible team of designers and illustrators who are making this thing look gorgeous. Mm. And I'm so excited for this to sit on people's coffee tables and, you know, people can hang it up on their walls. Like we've already tested it. It looks so good on a wall. Um, it's, it's pretty cool. So we're excited to create something beautiful and put it out in the world. And three, the nice thing about a newspaper is you can hand it off to a friend. And because this is a good newspaper, when somebody needs some good, you can hand off the good in a very physical way. You're not hitting the share button. You're not sending it over Twitter or an email where you're being inundated by things. You get to actually go in person and give it to somebody as a gift when you're done reading it or if you buy a few extras. I love that. So it's called the good newspaper. What's inside? Inside the good newspaper, we will have, drumroll please, uh, good news. (laughs) Um, I know that's cheesy. Um, (laughs) Let's break this down a little bit more. The heart behind the good newspaper is to fight against a world of hate and division and bad news by celebrating the people, the ideas, and the movements that are changing the world. But then we don't want to stop there. We don't want to just say, well, look at these people doing great things. We want to give people practical tools to become the people who are changing the world. The truth is that so many people who listen to this podcast or subscribe to the Good Newsletter are already world changers, and they're doing incredible things. I know for me and so many other people I know, all of the terrible things that have happened in the world, all of the injustices that we're kind of being awakened to have left us wanting to do something, but we felt overwhelmed on what to do or how to take a next step or what's what's even important or valuable to do you know what if i do something and then it actually hurts things more than it helps things and so we're creating the good newspaper to be solutions focused you know we're going to dive into the injustices in the world we're going to dive into the stories of the people making a difference but then we're going to dive hard into how can we be a part of that you know what's one way that we can be a part of it on a really you know low level way What's a way that we can we can jump in and be a part of this in a really hands-on way, in a really big way? Um, because there's a multitude of reactions that we can take to the problems in the world. We want to empower people who want to be a part of the change in the world. We want to empower people who want to be the helpers, but just don't know how to get started. And then on top of that, we're also, of course, going to have lots of fun newspapery things. And some of those things we're still figuring out. Some of them we already have a plan. And we're so excited about it. Um, you know, newspapers have got all kinds of fun things like... Can you share something? Comic sections. <laughs> um, awesome. We really want to do some features on amazing ethical brands you can feel good supporting. You know, things like that that the people who care about making a difference in the world will be interested in. Okay, so what's next? How do people sign up? So we're starting off with a year's worth of good newspapers. These are going to be quarterly, so they'll come out every three months. And to produce this first year of the good newspaper, we are launching on Kickstarter. More specifically, we're launching on Kickstarter 
tomorrow at the time that we're recording this. Like insane. That's Tuesday, March 14th. So for a lot of you guys, you know, it may have just already gone online. And so in order to subscribe to the good newspaper, you've got to back the Kickstarter. We're working really hard to create a quality good newspaper that you will be proud to own. You're going to keep it on your coffee table. You'll be excited about it for months. We hired incredibly talented designers and illustrators and writers to make this thing come to life. And we're using amazing recycled paper, you know, like all this stuff that we're really proud of. Um, And we're putting it on Kickstarter for what we think is a really fair, really good price. It's affordable to subscribe. And there's different levels that you can back it at. So you could just get one newspaper if that's all that you financially can afford. Or you can subscribe to a whole year's worth of good newspapers. We also have a really cool tote bag that we're selling. We have this fantastic good news pin from Adam JK, who's a past podcast guest. Um, We did a special edition collaborative good news pin that... I love it. I'm so excited. You've been about it. wearing this pen for the last year on your jacket. Yeah, as a reminder to focus on good news. And uh, now we're doing a limited edition run of uh, more of these so that more people can have them. And then, of course, there's other rewards that are really fun. Uh, if you want to order more, or you know, actually, you'll you'll see them. There's some fun ones. And oh my gosh, I'm just so excited about this whole thing. But the crazy thing about Kickstarter, and I think it's smart, but. The crazy thing about Kickstarter is if we don't reach our entire funding goal, then we don't get to keep any of the money and we can't make the good newspaper. And so for this thing to become a reality, for this tangible, physical manifestation of good news to come to the world, we need the help of listeners like you guys who have made Sounds Good what it is, who have filled the world with more hope and beauty just by paying attention to the hopeful things all around, the hopeful stories of incredible people around the world. We need your help to support this Kickstarter. So there's two ways to do that. The first is to back the Kickstarter. And more importantly, back the Kickstarter as soon as possible. The first 24 hours, maybe even the first 12 hours of a Kickstarter are the most important time because that's when the folks who work at Kickstarter are paying attention. They say, whoa, this thing's getting traction. People really care about this. And then they'll feature it. And then more people are going to come across the good newspaper and My hope is that their lives will be filled with more hope because they came across it. So I'd love if you backed the Kickstarter and picked up a good newspaper for yourself or maybe, you know, maybe one for yourself and a friend or, you know, get a few of them so that you can pass them out. And number two, I need help sharing about the Kickstarter. That's really important. We want this to reach a lot of people. I think that there's so many people who feel overwhelmed by everything happening in the world and... I know for myself, by focusing on good news, by being inspired by people who are making a difference in the world and striving to join in on what they're doing, it makes me feel hopeful. And the hope is that other people will get to experience that same feeling and that a lot of people would. Because what if we had a huge community of people who feel hopeful and empowered to contribute to the good in the world? A huge community of people who celebrate good news and then become good news. So that's it. The good newspaper is a real-life newspaper focused on celebrating the good in the world and empowering people to become the good in the world. It's going live on Kickstarter and you can support it by backing it and sharing it. So how are you feeling about all this? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm feeling terrified. I'm feeling so scared and, but also excited. It's so important. (laughs) Well, I'm really glad that we got to have this conversation and I hope that it's really helpful for everyone who's like, why is this person I used to follow on Instagram now creating a good newspaper? I think this will provide like a lot of backstory to how this project came to be. Yeah, I've had a, a weird, bizarre life that's like led up to things, but it's, it's great. Well, the best lives, I think, do have that kind of story. So I'm really proud of you and I'm excited. Thank you. Should we kiss her? Let's make out. <laughs> All right, so that's my story, and uh, that's the good newspaper. We are so excited, so thrilled to be putting this out in the world. We can't wait for this to show up at your house, for you to read it, for you to dive into it, for you to share it with friends. This is going to be so much fun. Again, I would love your support in making this Kickstarter happen. If we don't raise all the funds, then we don't get any of the money, and we're not able to make the newspaper, and 
we think that this is really important. We think that this is going to make a difference in the world. We think that this is solving a problem that so many people, myself included, have. We want to make a difference in the world and we want to see the people who are doing that and we want to learn how to follow in their footsteps. We want it to be clear, we want it to be actionable and we want to be a part of this movement of good people doing good things to make the world a better place. So the two things, again, that you can do, you can go and back the Kickstarter as soon as humanly possible. We launch on Kickstarter on the morning of March 14th, and you can find way more information about the newspaper and watch our video on that page. And that page is going to be at goodnewspaper.co.co. It'll automatically take you to the Kickstarter page. And number two, we would love your help getting the word out about the good newspaper. We want a lot of people to find this. We think the people are going to love it, but we need your help getting it in front of people. So share this on Instagram or Instagram stories. Go on Facebook or Twitter and and spread the link through that. You can share the video. Um, We just want people to find out about this. And you guys are incredible. And you already believe in this idea of making a difference in the world and celebrating the people that do. And so, uh, really, we cannot do this without you. So, one more time, goodnewspaper.co. It's on Kickstarter on March 14th. And uh, we are nervous. We are excited. But most of all, we are excited to celebrate good news and become good news. We couldn't do any of this without your support. And so, in advance, thank you so much. On that note, that's a wrap for this week's episode. Go out and do some good this week, spread some good this week, and we'll be back next week with another inspiring conversation from an incredible person. Sound good?